And so today we, we're going to continue our, our study in the month of January as we're focusing on uh, foundations. That's the title of our series that we're going to be sharing with you this month. Now, being from Alabama, you've got to choose your sides. You are either a Roll Tide, Crimson Tide person, or you are uh, an Auburn University person. And uh, though I did not go to Auburn, I am a diehard Auburn fan, and I've been having a hard time these last few years because Alabama has just dominated the college football scene. They have won three out of the last four national champions. Now, now being in Texas, y'all can appreciate excellence in good football uh, most of the time. Well, anyhow, they are, uh, they're, just, they're just doing great, and it hurts me to, in a way. But you know what? You have to applaud excellence. As they interviewed Nick Saban after the national championship, it's interesting something that he said. He said, here's what we do. We recruit great players. Our coaches develop them, and we expect excellence from our coaches and from our players. And people say, well, what else is there? He says, we recruit great players. <laughs> our coaches develop them, and we demand excellence from our players and our coaches. You say, that's very rudimentary. That is very basic. That is very foundational, and it is true. During the week of the national championship in Miami, interesting Coach Saban would not let his football players watch television. Now, can you imagine telling a group of 18 to 22-year-olds, you cannot watch television because you're going to focus on our football game. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll allow you to rent movies and you can play cards, but that's it. No ESPN, no distractions. I want you to be focused on the prize ahead. Well, all of us know that whether we're building a national football team or a family or a church or an organization or a battalion of fighters, it is absolutely preeminent that we focus on the fundamentals, the basic axioms that make us successful, yea, the very foundations. And so today, we're going to look at this foundation of Great Hills Baptist Church. We are built upon uh, the, the bedrock doctrine of the Scriptures, and we're very, very grateful for our legacy and the past 62-plus years that God has allowed us to be in existence here in the great city of Austin, Texas. And so we want to focus on these foundations, and we want to build upon that foundation to be this radiant church. Now, I know that in two and a half years, I have been preaching about this radiance to shine brightly for Christ. And many of you understand our basic DNA, our foundation, our core values, our mission, our vision, our purpose. Many of you get that. And you would say, well, Brother Danny, we are upward in our worship. We believe in vertically worshiping Almighty God in such a way that it, it impacts the way we horizontally treat one another. Secondly, we shine inward. Shine inward in the sense that we make much of the Scriptures and we study the Word of God. And it is very, very important to us to develop mature believers, followers of Jesus Christ who will live for Him. And then thirdly and finally, we shine outward. We radiate bright, effervescent witness and evangelism and missions. And that is our, that's who we are. I know it's very fundamental. I know it's very axiomatic. I know it's not very flashy, but this is who we are as a church. Worship, discipleship, and missions. 
If you wanted to encapsulate us, and if that's a little complicated, let me say it like this. We are a radiant, multi-generational church that makes disciples who will go and make other disciples. You know, it's good to know who you are, and it's good to be reminded our purpose. Now, last week I shared with you a little bit about our discipleship process and how we hope to take people and share information with an individual and indoctrinate them and encourage them and teach them, and that is the IKEA. Number one, I is information. Two is knowledge. And this is, this is one of my favorite parts. I get to impart knowledge and doctrine and encouragement to you who come publicly and corporately to worship. But I, then K, and then E is engagement. And this is where you take that which you learn and you actuate it. You put it into practice so that you take it out of the cerebral world, out of the metaphysical, theological world, if you will, and you put it on the, the, the real where the water hits the road and, and, and where life really happens, and you engage your Christianity in the way that you live. And then finally, in this maturation, in this discipleship that goes from information and knowledge and engagement, and here's the, here's the real goal, is advocacy, that you become an advocate for Christ, an ambassador for Christ, so that you move out of your embryonic infancy of doctrine and you move on into where you're actually taking your doctrine and it's changing your life and you're making a difference in the world in which you live. In fact, you are now a disciple who is replicating, a disciple who is multiplying, and you're pouring your life into others, and thus you're a part of the Radiant Church. Um, this text that I'm going to share with you today, I, I tell you, it is, it is one of the most powerful, precious jewels in all the Scripture. When I was a student at Southwestern Seminary in 1986. I'd gotten married to my bride, Ashley, and 10 days later, we left the great state of Alabama never to return. And I don't think we'll ever return as far as living. Now, we go back and we visit and that sort of thing. But we are Texans. I, I tell you, we, we got here as fast as we could. How about that? We, we are Texans. We love Texas. We, we love everything about it. Most everything about it. We, we, we love it here. And so we, we got married, and we, we came, and, and I enrolled in a class at Southwestern Seminary, and it really changed my life. And those of you who have been to seminary and graduate school of that type, you, you know that there are some classes that really revolutionize you. They really change you. And Dr. Bruce Leaf Blad's class called Spiritual Formation for Ministry. He took a whole semester, and he taught us the importance of being a passionate vertical worshiper. And he said, listen, if we're going to unleash you on the mission field and on the pastorate and in the ministry, you need to be a worshiper. And the greatest example, he would say in the Old Testament, of worship is Isaiah chapter 6. And so today, if you have your Bibles, I want to read Isaiah chapter 6. I'm only going to cover verses 1 through 4 because I'm going to take the whole month of January and we're going to explain and we're going to preach out of this apex, this pinnacle passage that deals with this dynamic of worship. And what does it mean to see God and worship God and be changed in God's presence? Now, I'm just not talking preacher talk here. I'm just not talking on this metaphysical, philosophical, existential level where you're like, oh, man, that is just, that is just fluffy as the clouds. That has nothing to do with me. Man, it's got everything to do with us. Because when we see God, 
I mean, really encounter God for who He is and how awesome He is and how holy He is and how just He is and how loving He is when we as mere mortals really encounter Him, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It changes you when you encounter God in worship. And here's what Isaiah said. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw Him. Sitting on a throne, he was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above this throne stood seraphim. The only time these majestic, massive, angelic creatures are mentioned in the Word of God is right here. And I saw these seraphim. Each one had six wings. Awesome creatures. With two wings, he covered his face. And with two wings, they covered their feet. And with the other two wings, they flew and they cried out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. We know heaven's full of His glory. Don't miss this. The whole cosmos, the whole earth is full of His glory. And then Isaiah said something amazing happened. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Before we get into the, the background and the context of our text, I think the Westminster Catechism gets it absolutely correct. The chief end of man is to glorify God, catch this, and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of man, our very purpose for being created and placed on this earth. Aren't you glad God did not create you as a roach, as a tree, as an apple, as a bee? God created, created you as humanity. And your greatest purpose in life is to know that great God who created you and to worship Him and adore Him for who He is, and in so doing... You find your purpose and your passion in life, and you live a blessed, fulfilled life. So worship. Worship the Lord, as the Scripture would say, in the beauty of holiness. So let's begin, number one, with a heavenly vision. If you have your, uh, your outline there in the, uh, in the worship guide, the words you, you could jot down are two words, heavenly vision. I saw the Lord, Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah died in 739 B.C. He reigned for 52 years as the monarch of Jerusalem. He was the king of Judah. And by and large, he was a good king up until the end of his life. Let's read this text in Chronicles because it tells us a little bit of backdrop, backstory about King Uzziah. King Uzziah, though, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God. And here's how Uzziah transgressed against God. By the way, it is in the realm of worship. He entered into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of God. You say, well, what is so problematic if the king wants to go into the temple and burn incense? Well, there's only one problem. He's a king. He's not a priest. 
And God said, only the priest come in here and burn incense. And Uzziah said, well, I know what God said, but let me just tell you something. That is not a good place to go. I know what the Scripture says, but don't, don't put that conjunction junction after that. Just say, I know what God says, and I'm going to yield to what God says. He goes into the temple. He's burning incense, and the priests come up to him and say, Oh, king, you can't do that. And he said, Oh, yes, I can. Just watch me. And all of a sudden, the Bible says God struck him with leprosy. And leprosy broke out on his forehead, and he died in shame and disgrace. And you compare that to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, a prophet of God, I looked in this heavenly vision and I saw the Lord. Now, the Bible says no man can see God or see his face and live. And so what we have here is this vision or this theophany. A theophany is where God makes this manifestation. He, he reveals himself in such a way that mankind can encounter him. Some people refer to this as a Christophany because the Hebrew word used here is Adonai, and it's not Yahweh. In verse 1 it says, I saw that, now watch this, it's L, little, capital L, little O, little R, little D, and that's Adonai in Hebrew. Now later on it's capital L-O-R-D, that is Jehovah. Some people see in this text, because the Holy Spirit will commission Isaiah in a moment, they see a theological triune God in the heavens, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And there Isaiah is, and he looks up, and he sees the Lord. Now, notice the way he describes him. Mm -mm. Notice how he describes him. I saw the Lord, and he is on a throne. Let me tell you something. Thrones are for kings. And Isaiah says he, has a, he is on a throne, and in this heavenly portal, in this vision, there is God Almighty. He is seated on the throne. Now notice what he says next. And he is high, high and lifted up. He is exalted. He is sovereign. Everything else bows before him. He is this sovereign, awesome, majestic monarch. He's on a throne and he's high and he's lifted up. And he's trained. He's so magnificent. The skirts of his robe, they filled the temple. The first of three times in verses 1 through 4, you will see this word, fill. And I don't want you to miss that. Underline each time it says, it, it was full, it filled, it filled. And this is Isaiah's way of saying, our God is awesome. He's so amazing. And I see him high and lifted up. His, the train, the skirt of his robe, it just saturated the temple. Something interesting to me in this text is, God is on his throne, and all is right in the world. I know in this day and age in which we live, it's a difficult day. And Isaiah's day was a difficult day. And we're often tempted to be anxious and to be worried now, i got to speak a word of encouragement to you if you are still upset about the election. i got to speak a word to you who are just wringing your hands about the fiscal cliff that we temporarily avoided, but we're looking at it again straight in the eyes. I want to speak to those of you here today who, on this week on, on television, the CNN guy got so mad that President Obama is going to put his hand on the Bible. 
What in the world is the world coming to? That man's going to put his hand on the Bible. And the guy said, nobody in America believes that book anymore. Why are we putting that Bible in front of that man? And we go, oh, goodness, the world is just falling apart. Can I tell you something today? God is on the throne, brother. He is high and lifted up. And I'm telling you, God is not fretting. God is not going, oh, angels, what are we going to do? I mean, look at that. Oh, my goodness. No, he's seated. He's not standing and, and worried like us. He's seated on his throne. He's the sovereign God. He is on the throne. He is in control, and everything is right in his world. That's just who he is. He is high and lifted up. Now, as his followers... We got to get to a place when everything is chaotic around us, we are at peace like our great God. I was reading a book just a couple of weeks ago, and it's a, it's a book by one of our Navy SEALs, and it's called No Easy Day. And in this book, I had to quit reading it because of the language, but I did read this much. He said, I had to get to the point where I was comfortable being uncomfortable. You see what he's saying? I'm going to make a raid. I'm going at 3 a.m. in Afghanistan. And I want to open up those doors. And who knows behind, who's what's behind those doors. And so I had to have this sense of serenity and calmness while everything was breaking out around me. Now let me tell you something. We need some Navy SEALs for Jesus. That while everything is chaotic and there's a cacophony of voices and, and, and just people are, are just wringing their hands and they're wiping the sweat off their brow and they're so nervous, you and I got to have the serenity and the calmness and the comfortableness knowing that our God reigns. He still reigns. He is in control. And Isaiah says, I saw him. He's high and he's lifted up. The skirt of his, the train of his robe, it it filled the temple. One writer put it this way. It is the heavenly palace of the king of kings into which the prophet's gaze is allowed to penetrate. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I did not see one of the fake false deities. I did not see one of the idols. In Psalm 115, I wish I had time, I would read the whole chapter to you, but Psalm 115 juxtaposes the one true God over against the myriad and the multiplicity of fake false deities. And the scripture says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name we give you glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is God. Well, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. The idols of the people, well, that's silver and that's gold. That's the work of men's hands. That psalm goes on to say, those idols have noses, but they cannot smell. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have hands and they cannot handle. But our God can do it all because he reigns. He is the sovereign Lord, exclusive God of the universe. And Isaiah said, I saw him. Now, let's talk about these angels. Ooh, son, these are some creatures. I mean, these are, look, it says, I saw the seraphim. That's Hebrew, that's plural. The seraph literally means a burning one, okay? Now, keep this in your mind. This is different than the cherubim in Revelation 4 and Ezekiel 10. These creatures surrounding the throne of God, 
They are massive, majestic, angelic beings. And they ha- each one of those creatures has six wings. With two wings, they come in their face. Because God is so amazing. God is so holy. God is so awesome, they cover their face. And then they bow and they cover their lower extremities. Literally, they cover their feet, but they're also covering their their prop. They, they're, they're, they're covering their lower extremities, and they're, and they're bowing down in majestic. And then those creatures come up, and they take those wings, and they fly around, and they are circling the Holy One on the throne, and they are shouting His praise continuously, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. They remind me so much of the cherubim. You remember this in Revelation chapter 4? The cherubim, and they, they're so much like the, the, the story in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 10, and you have these angelic beings also accompanying the throne. And they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These massive creatures can teach humanity a lot about worship. You know, sometimes well, you just feel so inadequate trying to capture for you what is going on. And then I feel inadequate because there's a part of me that God has commissioned me to be a prophet. Sometimes I wish I was not a prophet because prophets get they get decimated. Isaiah the prophet was sawed in two. He was cut in two. Not by the pagans, but by the Jews. And the greatest and the harshest criticism always comes from the people of God and not the pagans outside of God. But I have to say this. Because I have to be faithful to the Lord. These angels teach as much about worship. We think Worship is for us, but it's not. Worship is for Him. We think worship is when we sing the songs I want to sing. We think worship is the stage, the way I want it to look. And we think worship is the way that we dress. It's none of that. It's for the glory, the power of God and these angels. They look down upon us mere mortals and say, please, don't get caught up in the minutia of man-centered worship. Focus on the key. Now watch this. These angels, they're around the throne, and they're looking at, the, at God, and they're just going, tell me, tell me what to do, and we will do it. With alacrity and with eagerness, they are hovering around the Lord God Almighty. And these angelic beings, they're going, just tell us what to do. And that's so different than us. We come to worship, and we think it's about us. We think about the worship services. Did it please me? Did it entertain me? Did everybody look the way I think they ought to look? And so forth and so on. And that's not worship. That is idolatry. That is idolatry. But worship is like these angels going, you are holy. You are awesome. We are nothing. We're just angelic beings. Tell us what to do, and we will go do it. (laughs) 
holiness of God. Number two, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And this is Revelation 4, 8. It looks so much like Isaiah 6, 3. I, I quoted it, but let's put it up on the screen for just a moment. These four living creatures, each having six wings, sounds very much like the seraphim, but they have eyes around and within. And they do not rest. They are night, and they say the same thing as the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is the Hebrew. It means you are awesome. You are different. You are distinct. You are separate. You are set apart. Lord God Almighty, the eternal God who was and is and is to come. Three times they use the word kadosh. Why? Some scholars I read this week said they used the word three times to refer to the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Others say they, re they repeat three times for its fullness and its supremacy and its completeness. And then they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now we studied this word a couple years ago in our study of the Hebrew names of God. Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts. God of the armies of heaven. And he reigns. And nothing disturbs him. And then they say, the whole what? The whole what? Earth. The whole earth is, one more time, full of his glory. The Hebrew word kabod, glory, means riches, reputation, importance, and splendor. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens shout to us. The heavens declare the glory of God, the kabod of God, the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. God's presence and God's power are everywhere on display. In the heavens above, and in the earth beneath. Psalm 139, 7 through 12 talks about the omnipresent God who is everywhere. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. He is so awesome and he's so powerful and he's, and he's so holy that those angelic beings, they can't even look at him, but they can bow before him and they can say, You're awesome. What do you want us, as your creatures, what do you want us to do? The whole earth. Oh, that just got on me this week. And I thought about, what does that mean? The whole earth is full of the fingerprints of God. Some have different men like Immanuel Kant and Thomas Aquinas and Augustine. They interpret it this way. God shouts to man in the, cosm in the cosmos. And it's known as the cosmological argument for the existence of God. There is a cosmos. Every effect has a cause. God must be the cause. And then there's this teleological argument for the existence of God. This cosmos has a purpose. It has a design. It is meticulously designed. All of these mathematical equations, all these, these chemical equations, somebody must have put this with perfect completeness. And so they called it the teleological argument for the existence of God. And then there is this what they call the moral argument for the existence of God. And because there is a sense in us of oughtness, we know 
We know deep down inside that some things are wrong and some things are right. Where did we learn that? You ever thought about that? Well, evolution, oh, it's amazing. No, it's not. It's about as amazing as snot. It's not amazing. How in the world could a man be moral through mutation and natural selection? No, there is a God. He's moral. He's awesome. And he's created us this way. And then finally, there's this ontological argument for the existence of God, the fingerprint of God. The whole earth, it says, is full of the glory of God. Mankind, in our frailty and in our humanity, we can envision a deity, a being, a holy other essence. And because mere mortals can conjure up this in our mind, I'm telling you, I am smarter than this speaker. That speaker is not as smart as you and me. That speaker would never go, wow, there's a God. of No speaker, you can't do that. You know that? Because you're a speaker, okay? I love my little dog. My little dog's about to die. She's 12 years of age. I can look at Abby all day long and say, Abby, do you understand the ontological argument for the existence of God? She, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she can't. But you can. You know why? Because if we conjure this up in our minds, there is this deity, there is this divine essence, and he exists. See, the whole earth is saturated with the glory of God. He has not left himself without a witness. We have to be very determined to suppress the general revelation of God and those four arguments. But we have to try even harder to suppress the specific revelation of God, which is the living Word, Jesus, and the written Word, the Word of God. God, it says here, is holy, holy, holy. And as His people, here comes the prophet in me again, just bear with me. <laughs> we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to talk about being different. Being set apart to worship God. But I believe in my heart God never intended us as Christians to be weird or to be eccentric. He just created us to be holy and different. Reginald Heber was a brilliant man. He was born in England in 1783. He went to Oxford and he graduated and he specialized in poetry. His dad was a pastor. In Hognet, England, he pastored these little churches and slipped on into anonymity. But his son, when he graduated from Oxford, he said, before his dad died, he said, Dad, I will come and I will take up the mantle and I will shepherd those same souls that you shepherd. And he did for 16 years. In 1822, when he was 43 years of age, he felt God calling him to leave the pastorate and go be a missionary, to go give his life to the country, India. Uh, India. And so he went. And he poured out his heart, and he poured out his mind and his soul, and he preached the gospel to the to the country of, of India. And on one day, at 43 years of age, as he's preaching to the Indians, he, he worked up such a sweat, and, and he was out in the bright sun, and he, and he was just overtaken by heat. He made a fatal mistake. 
And Reginald Heber went into a cool pond, and he immersed himself in a pond, had a massive stroke, and died at the age of 43. 43! His widow began to look through his belongings, and she discovered that while he was a pastor of the church in Hognet, he wrote 57 hymns. Nobody ever saw, nobody ever knew. And one of of them said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Does anybody recognize that? Do you need a little help? Okay, sure, I'll help you. (laughs) Holy, 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 holy. That's it, okay? Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our songs shall rise to thee. Holy, holy, holy. You are merciful God and you are mighty. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. I wonder how he interpreted Isaiah 6. Ooh. You say, he's not talking about Isaiah 6. Yes, he is. Listen. Holy, holy, holy. Ooh, here it is. All the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and Seraphim, they fall down before thee, which were and are and forevermore will be. So we're talking about the holiness of God. And then finally, I'm talking about the hallowed presence of God. Hallowed is much like the word holy. It means to be set apart. And, and I'm just sharing with you guys, it's all week, excuse me, all week, just, just studying this scripture. Somebody asked me the other day, how long does it take you to write a sermon like that? A long time. A long time. So, as I'm studying it Monday morning, I'm just looking at it, and I could not get over this word smoke. What does that mean? When smoke engulfs the palatial temple of God. What, what is that? What does that mean? When it says in Isaiah verse 4 that he, he saw the post and they were shaken by the voice of this angel. One writer puts it this way, The shout of the seraphs shook the very foundations on which the thresholds of the gates of heaven rested. A testimony to the energy with which it was uttered. I agree with that. And then the house filled up with smoke. Two times, excuse me, whenever smoke is mentioned in the Scripture and it's attributed to God. It has two, two causes. One, it represents the presence of God. And number two, it represents the anger of God. In Exodus 19, 18, when God gave the Ten Commandments, the Bible says the mountain shook smoke. You have God's awesome presence as He is giving the Ten Commandments. There you see it. Let's go to the next verse. In 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14... Oh, to God. Oh, to God. This would happen again. The Bible says it came to pass. They're taking the Ark of the Covenant. They've just created this palatial temple, the great temple of Jerusalem. And David had a vision for it, and and Solomon came in, and he built it. And the people are coming, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant. And the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make a sound to be heard in praising. Watch this. In praising and go, brother, sister, PowerPoint person. Amen. 
No, no, back up, no, thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments, look at this, of music, and they praised the Lord and they said, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. The house of God is filled with a cloud of the presence of God. And the priests, they could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the kabod. The glory of the Lord. He filled the house of God. Oh God, that you would fill this house. Oh God, that you would fill Great Hills Baptist Church with your awesome presence. And that we would worship him. And we would be changed by him. And our preferences and our idolatries would fall at the foot of the cross. And we would be so enamored with you. With you, you are enough. And we would preach your word and we would sing your praise. And we would go, we would go to the nations of this world. And we would say, how great is our God. We were driving back from Jacksonville, Florida uh, to get to Pensacola a couple weeks ago. Had my family in the car. And, um, those are sweet times. I'm, I tell you, those are sweet times. Even though they had to get on each other's nerves, those are sweet times. It's awesome. And, and we're driving, and my son, Brian, he says, Dad, you need to hear this song. And I said, well, what is it? He said, it's All is Well by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And I said, that sounds good, son. I kept driving. A couple miles down the road, he said, Dad, no, you really need to hear this song. And I said, what was it again, son? All is well. I said, that's really good. A couple miles down the road, Dad. He said, give me your phone. I give him my phone. He downloads the song on my iPhone. I didn't think much about it until I was studying the sermon. I studied that part where it said, the whole earth is full of his glory. All is well. Or it is well with my soul. I like Horatio Spafford. I like Reginald Heber. I like Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Listen, listen to these words, and, and I'm done. And thank you. Thank you for indulging. Just, just giving me some little extra time today. Oh, I hope I can, I hope I can read the song. Because there's somebody here today, and all is not well with you. You feel like your life is coming unraveled at the seams. The very tapestry and the fabric of your life is falling apart. And this great God says, let me help you. Hear the heart of Adam's prayer in the hold of Satan's snare. But there is hope and grace will tell. God has a plan and all is
Every son of Adam's race has felt the grip of Satan's chains. But when the Lamb came to earth's cell, he broke the chains. Praise God, all is well. To the cross, to the cross of Jesus I come. I am a sinner weak and undone. God will break the tempter's spell, and I will sing for all is well. Listen to the, listen to the refrain. Mm, I wish I could sing it. One day in heaven, I'm going to be able to sing like these jokers that sing so high. But here it is. All is well. All is well, my friend. Think about that. Oh, no, Brother Danny, you didn't see my bank account. Oh, you didn't see my marriage. Oh, you didn't see my health. Let me tell you something again. God is on his throne. He has not abdicated his divine right to lead. He is sovereign. All is well, all is well. Praise the Lamb. All is well. He holds the keys to death and hell. Jesus reigns, so all is well. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. Oh. And that's just verses 1 through 4. <laughs> Next week, we're going to go 5 through 7 or 8. Y'all pray for me. This is, this is wearing me out. I'm telling you, it's, it's intense. If you're here today, and all is not well, can I offer you this? Can I offer you this? Would you receive it? God is for you. He loves you. But He's so awesome, and He's so powerful we must come to Him on His terms. We must surrender our lives and yield our lives to Him. And when we do, He will bless us. He will encourage us. He will lead us even to the portals of death. And when we die, glory to God, all will be well. Worship is more than what we're doing on a Sunday. It is our lives. It is, it is the very core essence of who we are as His followers. So, Father, thank you for revealing who you are in your majesty and in your glory. Thank you, Lord, for this divine vision that you allowed Isaiah to peer into the heavenly portals and see. God, you are so awesome. You're seated on the throne, high and lifted up. Angels are bowing down, and, and all is well. Lord, I pray for every person here today. I, I'm asking you, God, to reveal yourself to them. And draw them into a deep and a wonderful relationship with you. That God, they would be like you. They would be holy and loving and just and kind and pure. And, and that God, these dear precious souls here today at Great Hills, we would be so radically changed by encountering God today that it would change our lives. Yes, Lord, we would go from mere information and we would mature all the way to being an advocate for the King, an ambassador for you. And praise the Lamb. All is well. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Would you stand with me to your feet? We'll sing a song of praise to the Lord. Our altar is available. It's open. You can come. You can kneel. You can pray. You can meet with one of our pastors, one of our counselors. We'd be happy to talk with you, share with you as we sing. God bless you as you come.